And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And for the second straight week, there are no guys. It's just me and a gal named Brittany Everett. Stan the Fan on this Saturday, the 27th of January, as we inch closer to pitchers and catchers reporting on February 13th. By the way, today in Baltimore, it is a baseball kind of day, Brittany, as Fan Fest will take place down at the Baltimore Convention Center. Yeah, Fan Fest is a great way for everybody to go out and get excited for the season. Are you a fan fester? I mean, do you like to get, did you like to go down there when you had time? Yeah, I mean, I used to go when I was younger, then school started and everything, but I'm wearing my Orioles shirt today. You so. are wearing your Orioles <laughs> State of Maryland t-shirt. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Got to represent. A uh, little bit of uh, unfortunate news as uh, the afternoon wore on yesterday. I'm not exactly sure what time they dropped it, but both Manny Machado and Jonathan Scope dropped out of FanFest. Um, Mass and Sports reported that Machado was due to some a personal issue. Uh, and once you hear that term, personal issue, you really can't – it's hard to take exception at that and question, oh, what could have happened? But no such proclamation by Jonathan Scope. And you have to wonder, without being too negative, if Jonathan Scope – said two things. Oh, Manny's not going? I'm not going to go. And, oh, the club is fighting me on arbitration? I'm not going to go. Is it possible one of those two things or both of those things were the reason for Jonathan Scope's sudden disappearing act? I mean, it could be possible, but at the same time, you're here in this ball club. You should be out with the fans. I I couldn't agree more with you, you know. Uh to me, the way it reads, and I'm sure that they'll, uh, I'm sure some of the writers will talk to Dan Duquette about it, and maybe there's a perfectly good reason for Machado's absence, uh, and maybe in time we'll find that there was a perfectly good reason for Jonathan Scope's absence. But they've disappointed a lot of fans that were coming out and hoping to get a couple opportunities to get autographs signed by them. The club will uh, refund any people that had paid in advance to get uh, in line for those autograph signings with Machado and Scope, but it is unfortunate that the two, kind of the heart and soul players of the team that are, you know, Orioles from the start till now, that neither one of them will be at FanFest today. Anyway, uh, I throw that out as conjecture. Meanwhile, there'll be an awful lot of Baltimore Oriole players and coaches and staff down at the Baltimore Convention Center. Hope you'll stop down there. Should be a good afternoon, and I'm sure Baltimore Oriole fans will show out in, in mass uh, to touch hands with their players. Um, although, I can tell you this, there's not a great deal of excitement right now going on by the fan base. Um, I think we're uh, – listen, Dan Duquette has been known to pull off some things Late uh, in the off season this year, it looks like a lot of general managers are going to be pulling stuff off late in the off season. Uh, perhaps 
Duquette's um, mode of operandi, uh, modus operandi, which is to wait out the market. Maybe it will come to pass because there are so many players out there. Maybe he'll end up with a Jason Vargas and an Andrew Kashner on one-year deals because he can offer the best one-year deals to those guys. There was a little thaw the other night in the inactivity of this offseason as the Miami Marlins traded uh, their very fine young outfielder, 26-year-old outfielder, Christian Yelich, who's under control for five more years because he signed an extension about a year and a half ago, right when uh, the Marlins were were acting as if they were going to try and be serious players under their owner, Jeffrey Loria. But that lasted about a season and a quarter. And then when things went south last year, they kind of gave up. Loria sold the team to Derek Jeter and uh, his partnership group. And Jeter has immediately uh, moved fast to get $50, $60 million, maybe as much as $75 million off the books. He's traded now Giancarlo Stanton, D. Gordon, um, Christian Yelich, and J.T. Real Mute, uh, the catcher, is now on the, on, the do- on the trading docket right now with the Washington Nationals showing an awful lot of interest in him. Anyway, here's what we've got for you on the show today. Um, had a slight family um, emergency yesterday. Nothing bad. Uh, just my wife needed me. Somebody backed out of driving her somewhere, and I had to take my wife somewhere because she doesn't drive long distances very well. So I took the day off yesterday. Glenn Clark was gracious enough to do an interview for me for this show that I had set up for yesterday afternoon with Masson Sports' Mel Antonin. Mel is probably down at FanFest today, so we chatted with him yesterday. 10.45, Jim Callis of MLB.com and MLBPipeline.com will be on to discuss the MLB Pipeline Top 100 Prospects, which are being debuted tonight. Uh, and We'll find out just how they're being debuted. I'm guessing it'll be on the MLB Baseball Channel tonight. Uh, 100 top baseball prospects will find out who um, on that list will be of the Baltimore Orioles variety. We'll also talk to him about some of the players from his 2017 list. And we'll also find out what he thinks of a couple other Oriole prospects along the way. So Jim Callis will join us at 1045. Um, What was I going to say? Then at... 11.05, a repeat guest from last week, Bill Latson of MLB.com. Bill joins us, and he is on because he'll be positively, as Craig Heist described it, positively giddy uh, with the fact that one of his favorite players of all time, because Bill used to cover the Montreal Expos, um, Vladimir Guerrero is going into the Hall of Fame. So we'll have Bill Latson on at 11.05, and then we'll wrap things up We'll wrap things up with our good friend, Mr. Uh, Jim Henneman, will join us um, at 11.35 today. So we've got you a full uh, two hours of baseball chatter, and we hope you'll join in the show. There's two ways you can join in, and that is uh, by going to uh, pressboxonline.com slash radio to merely listen, or you can go to, and I'm trying to do my... Uh, my thing here. Hold on a second. Pressbox Sports. 
Facebook.com. This is really pathetic. This is really pathetic. Um, I'm still 15 minutes into the show or 10 minutes into the show. I've been unable to share this. This is one of the real problems when Craig Heist isn't here. Um, anyway, Jim Henneman joins us at 1130. So we've got two hours of baseball talk. We hope you'll in uh, tune in uh, either to listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio or Facebook Live uh, by going to facebook.com slash pressboxsports. And hold on. I got to get this done. I have no idea why it didn't. Okay. Oh, boy, this is very frustrating. Britt, can you pop over here and do this again? I will try my best. <laughs> okay. It's not really that hard. I don't know why I'm having such trouble doing it today. Um, wanted to sh- give a shout-out to somebody who says at least that he's w- uh, listening this morning, a good friend of mine, Steve Jeppe, uh, the owner of Diamond Comics and about 20 other businesses in town. He also his uh, his his company, the uh, Diamond Comics and the um, and the Jeppe Entertainment Museum down there at Camden Yards. They sponsor our Resig's World of Sports. Steve has been battling a real problem. You just want to hit press box press box sports up here, and then it should give you the opportunity to get onto it. Okay, uh, Steve has been battling. Uh, vertigo symptoms for about eight months now. Never mind. I'll 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 get it. I'll, I'll get it. It's I can't believe it's it's that complicated. Anyway, uh, he's been battling vertigo for eight months. Uh, he's been making incredible progress, and it's not really vertigo. It is vestibular neuroses. Uh, I think that's the exact name of it, and its main symptom is vertigo-like symptoms. So imagine getting up every day for eight months and feeling dizzy and disoriented. And Steve has had to do an amazing job at running his companies, running his social life and big family that he's got that he loves so much. But he took a big step this week. Just as he approached his 68th birthday, he went down to Oriole Fantasy Camp and participated as a fantasy camper uh, down there in Sarasota, Twin Lakes Park. I've done it a couple times. It's an amazing experience. Steve has done it probably 15, let's see, eight and ten. He's probably done it over 20 times, but this is the first time he's ever done it. And trust me, I did it back in 92, and I was 40 years old. Steve is 68, went down there, had a good week playing for Tackett's Troublemakers, uh, Jeff Tackett, his son Josh, was uh, on his team. Josh even had a five-for-five five game. Uh, but the troublemakers didn't cause an awful lot of trouble for the other teams as they only went uh, two and five. But some uh, great stories. Uh, and maybe we'll try and get Steve on the show next week to talk a little bit about him. But his manager was Jeff Tackett. He said that his coaches were Joe Ursulak and Alan Mills. And then later in the week, a great story, Rich Dower, former Orioles second baseman, who I think you know the story about. Uh, Rich, right after the World Series, uh, the night after or the day after, slipped and fell in the shower and hit his head 
and thought he just was sort of um, dazed by by it. Well, all of a sudden, at the Astros parade, celebration parade, with roughly 3 million fans there in attendance, the main part of downtown Houston, uh, everybody's excited. Rich Dower started to feel really, really sick and bad, and it turned out that he had a fairly substantial blood clot in his brain or on his brain. I don't know the exact way to refer to that. Doctors saw him, saw the way he looked, knew something was wrong. They had to evacuate him from this mass of people and get him in an ambulance, and he made it to, uh, I don't know the name of the hospital there, Ken Rosenthal of the Athletic.com, the subscription um, site that Ken now writes for, uh, and they've got Peter Gammons, Jim Bowden writing for them. It's a pretty amazing site, and they do about eight cities in Canada and about eight cities in the U.S. Uh, can only imagine when they'll come into to battle in Baltimore. But um, uh, an amazing and harrowing story, and he threads in sort of throughout the story all these people that are close to Rich Dower, people like Trey Hillman, who uh, used to coach with him, uh, a, a lot of other folks that were in, including his wife and, and other baseball friends and A.J. Hinch, and how they and he threads it all in, and it's a sort of a um, patchwork, a quilt of all the events and things that went on, and we're very lucky to have Rich Dower still with us. Anyway, and Steve, by the way, I'm talking about Steve Jeppy, also had an incident like that about 10 years ago where he hit his head and also had bleeding on the brain and a blood clot and had to have pressure relieved. And that's what Rich Dower had to have happen as well. But we're very fortunate to have Rich Dower with, with us, um, still not with us on the show, but still with us in this world because he came very close uh, to uh, passing away on that great celebration day down there in Houston. Anyway, uh, kudos to Steve Jeppe uh, for doing such a great job down there at Oriole Fantasy Camp. It's an amazing battle to battle through and play a week-long games down there at Fantasy Camp. I only wish his team had played better. And speaking of Steve, by the way, Steve uh, does sponsor our uh, Mike Resigliano cartoon, uh, Resig- Resig's World of Sports, that's on the last page of content of Press Box each month. Um, Steve was uh, sort of noted in our or honored in our best of Baltimore issue as the fan you might most want to sit next to at an Orioles game. And uh, for someone who has sat next to Steve at Orioles games galore, I can tell you that that is really um, a really fitting honor for Steve Jeppe to be named uh, the best person to sit next to at an Oriole game. So uh, if Steve is listening, we say uh, kudos and uh, uh, a 10-gun salute to you for doing such a great job at battling through the problems you had this week down at Oriole Fantasy Camp. All right. Um, it is time is it? it's 10 18 right now again let me give you the rundown of who's on the show this week mel antonin 
of MassinSports.com is going to join us in just a couple minutes. The interview conducted yesterday by Glenn Clark at 1045. Jim Callis of MLB.com and MLBPipeline.com will join us on this day uh, tonight at 8 o'clock. I think it's on MLB Network. Uh, His top 100 prospects of the year will be revealed. 11.05, we'll talk to Bill Latson about the Hall of Fame voting and how his one of his favorite players of all time should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't know how you go from 71% to 93% in one year without having deserved it the year before, but Vladimir Guerrero will, will uh, be entering Cooperstown this July, and also Jim Henneman joins us a little bit later on in the show to talk about this mysterious offseason in Major League Baseball and one that we know is impacting the Orioles and their chances of competing this year. Again, one other story that we just bring up, not to be totally negative or bash the players because we don't know the exact reasons, but yesterday afternoon it was announced that probably the number one and number two uh, autograph, um, uh, probably autograph, Folks wanted to to meet and greet with Manny Machado and Jonathan Scope will not be attending uh, FanFest. They pulled out at the last minute, and we don't know the reasons why. Uh, With Machado, we were told on Masson, without going into any great details, Masson Sports, that there was some personal issue. Uh, But with Scope, you just got to believe it was almost like, Manny's not going to be there. I'm not coming uh, or the club is fighting me in arbitration over a million dollars, I'm not coming. That's what it seems like, all right? I love Jonathan Scope. Um, I think he's a great kid. Uh, I hope the Orioles and he can – this is not a great way to get into that time period where you would have hoped that the club was going all out to sign him. All right, without further ado, it is time to hear from Mel Antonin, and my friend Glenn Clark conducted the interview yesterday. Well, very cool. It's Glenn Clark from Glenn Clark Radio, Monday to Friday, 10 to noon. And I'm hanging out here on the bat around. And it's a pleasure to be joined by a friend of mine, a man who, when he's not covering baseball for MassonSports.com, Masson, and like literally everyone else on the face of the planet, he also delivers my pizzas, which I've always appreciated. He is our buddy, Mel Antonin, and he joins us now here on the bat around. Mel, it's so good to talk to you, sir. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes. Well, I'm good to be with you. I hope that you... Uh uh, you know, you're pretty routine in your pizza orders. You need to you need to mix them up a little bit. <laughs> you know, the good news for you is because I'm hanging out now on Saturday and doing some Saturday work, I'll actually have a little bit more money so I can finally tip you this time. Yeah, well, yeah, you need need a little bit behind there, but I'm glad to help you. Hey, there's so much I want to talk with you about, sir. Obviously, um, all of the many things the Orioles have done this offseason. All right, we'll get to that. Well, that's not going to take long. No, that's not going to take long. Let's start, obviously, this week. uh, We had the announcement of uh, a four-member class for the Baseball Hall of Fame. You, of course, are a voting member of the BBWAA. Um, And and you've already said who your votes were for, but just can we talk about – um, your reaction to the four that got in, and then where your disappointment is about who didn't. Oh, that's good. That's a good question. I, I'm all. I, I, I voted for all four of the guys that got in, and I even voted for Trammell and and Jack Morris, who got in on the Modern Era Veterans Committee back in December. So uh, I think that they, 
the baseball writers did a good job this year. I'm disappointed. I think Mike Messina, Edgar Martinez, Fred McGriff, and Omar Vizquel all deserve hmm. some serious credit. But uh, I think they'll eventually get it. But to, to, to get four people... Four players in, I think it was very good, and I think it's the right thing to do. I, I agree wholeheartedly on the four that got in, and I certainly agree on both Edgar Martinez and Mike Messina. Looking at how the vote unfolded, are you confident that Edgar will get in next year on his final ballot? And then do you feel as though the push is there that Messina is probably, you know, maybe two, three years away from induction himself? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm more confident in, in Messina than I am in uh, – in Edgar Martinez. Hmm. The fact is, you know, 19 out of the 20 players that have gotten at least 70% of the vote uh, always get in. So I think history says history is on their side. Uh, but Edgar Martinez is a very debatable subject. Yes, he's one of the best base DHs in the history of the game. Yes, he's one of the best hitters. But did he have enough power numbers to be, to be a Hall of Famer, a DH Hall of Famer? I don't know. I think that's the debate. But uh, I voted for him. I think he's deserving because he is one of the best DHs of his time, and I think DHs were discriminated against for a while. But um, and I, you know, and, and Mike Messina not being in is one of the biggest bonehead decisions the BBWAA has made. I just I can't believe he's not in. And uh, with all that he did, and as consistent as he was. He deserves to be in. I agree to wholeheartedly, Mel. It feels like, uh, for example, we had our friend uh, Dave Ginsburg on my show this week, and he admitted that he didn't vote for Mike Messina. And Dave's a little bit more – he's tough. Dave's tough. He only cast four votes this year. I mean he is a, a tough nut when it comes to voting for the Hall of Fame. But he was throwing out some of the, the maybe the platitudes that I think a lot of people have moved past, right? Like the – you know, never won or only once won 20 games in a season. Well, he won 18 in six seasons, and a lot of us don't really think that wins necessarily are statistics that means a whole heck of a lot individually. Like, it seems like the, the eye test is something that people bring up when they don't vote for Mike Messina. And some of these things that are more difficult to define, it's just for whatever reason, I, there, there's some weird opinion that seems to exist that people aren't voting him in because of. Well, he was in the shadows of Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, Pedro Martinez, and even Roger Clemens. So he was always the fifth or sixth best pitcher of his era. But I think you have to look at the stuff. I understand what people are saying about, uh, you know, wins not uh, defining a pitcher, but I think in a lot of ways they do. You have to be a pretty darn good pitcher uh, to win 270 games in the big leagues. Mm -hmm. I understand the argument against wins for pitchers and all that, mm -hmm. but you still – if you, if I told you that you were going to build your staff around a guy that's going to win 270 games, you would take that. But, yeah. Um, um, I, 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 I'm just kind of dumbfounded, but I think it's the fact that he was the sixth or fifth or sixth best pitcher of his generation, and uh, I think that's hurt him some. Uh, the fact that he won 18 games, what five or six times. Think if he had had a stronger bullpen, he would have had six or seven 20 win seasons, and uh, that would have put him up there with guys like Ferguson Jenkins. So I just think Mike Messina is a Hall of Famer. I voted for him from every time he's been on the ballot, and uh, and I hope he gets in next year. Mel Anton is with us from Mass and here on the Bat Around. Mel, you mentioned Omar Vizquel, and he's a guy that I absolutely have a lot of strong feelings for. I was a Kenny Lofton guy too, right? Like I, I think that there's some players that maybe didn't get enough recognition when they had their opportunities. But Vizquel, I think when you look at the vote that he got, 
that might be actually a good sign for him that that eventually within the span of 10 years maybe there are more and more voters that are willing to sort of really look at exactly how good of a baseball player that dude truly was and it wasn't just that he was this unbelievable defensive shortstop like the guy was a pretty freaking good hitter too yeah yeah 2800 hits 2800 hits for a guy that won 11 gold gloves i think the sabermetrician leg or wing of the Baseball Writers Association is not in love with Fiscal. They say statistically he didn't have as much range as everybody thinks. But if you talk to managers, coaches, players, for and against, with or or against Fiscal, all all the uniform personnel say that Omar Fiscal was one of the best defensive shortstops in the history of baseball. That alone makes him a Hall of Famer. because of his defense. Then you throw in 2,800 hits and what he meant leadership-wise and everything. Omar Vizcal is a Hall of Famer. It's a matter of if you believe the sabermetricians or the uniform personnel on the field. Um, the three names that we haven't brought up yet are uh, Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling. And, and let me just make sure I clarify, based on what you told me earlier, are, were you, are you not a Bonds or a Clemens voter? No, I didn't vote for Bonds and Clemens. Um, I think Character is part of the Hall of Fame, and if you don't use the character issue or the character clause now with steroids, when are you ever going to use it? I mean, name. I mean, come on. Roger Clemens had three seasons at age 41, 42, and 43 where he pitched 200-plus innings. In one of those years, he led the National League with a 1.87 ERA. Are you telling me that that's legitimate stuff uh, for a 42-year-old pitcher? I don't think so. Barry Bonds had 195 home runs after the age of 38. I do not think that's legitimate either. If you do think those numbers are legitimate, and if you think they were doing it without steroids, then by all means, vote for them. But I can't vote for them on the character clause. I'm, I, they ruined the game. They ruined, particularly Bonds, ruined one of the best records, the most sacred records in baseball. So I can't vote for them. I'm open to voting for them. Clemens and Bonds came out and said, gee, we're really sorry. We did it. You know, we've had a change of heart here, but uh, neither one of those guys are admitting it. And it's uh, it's pretty amazing that Mitch, uh, Roger Clemens showed up in the Mitchell Report 82 times. Yeah. 82 times. Mel, what do you make of the people that argue, hey, everyone was doing it? And, and these were the extreme examples, but – you know, we've probably already put some guys in the Hall of Fame that were steroid users, and there's guys that we might not want to admit that were probably steroid users. What do you make of that argument? I, I don't like that argument at all. I think that it's I think that it's pe- kicking the can down the road. I think that it's a cop out in a lot of ways. Um, there probably are PED users in the Hall of Fame. But what baseball writers have to do is they have to stick up for the integrity and the character of the game. And, yeah, there might be some guys that got in, but I think you have to take every player individually and decide. I don't think you can say, well, I can't decide on anybody, so I'm going to let them all in. That's like saying, well, I can't catch every speeder out on the interstate, so I'm just going to let everybody speed. Justice is not fair. And, uh, again, I looked at Clemens' case, I looked at Bond's case, and and I cannot see them in the Hall of Fame because of their connections to PEDs. What's your Not go- once in the yeah. history of this, since, since players started taking uh, steroids and came into focus in 1988, there was never a time when baseball said, gee, it's all right to take steroids. It's, they're against the law. Look what they've done to the game. 
And again, justice is never even. Justice is never fair all the way across the board. You know, we were just talking a second ago about Martinez and Messina being close, and, and a lot of people have pointed out Bonds and Clemens' numbers and voting and said, you know, maybe there's a chance that that ultimately that, that people could get in. But I sense more that unlike other players, the no voters on Bonds and Clemens, like yourself, aren't changing their minds. Like that, that this is – there's always going to be a certain percent of voters that will never vote for those guys. And so my gut – you know, despite the fact that their voting numbers are good, my gut actually tells me they're probably not going to get in um, in this balloting within 10 years. Yeah, and I don't think they'll get in in the Veterans Committee. It's hard to predict. Young voters, so there was like 10 new voters in the Baseball Writers Association this year. Nine of them voted for Bonds and Clemens. They were in junior high when those guys were, um, were, when those guys were playing. So... The young voters in the BBWAA have no problem voting in Bonds and Clemens. So I think the issue is going to be if there is a string of new voters and new writers coming into the BBWAA in the next three or four years, then I think they've got a good chance. But I don't think there's enough for them to make up the difference. But that's a tough call. I think three, no, four years left to go. And that's an eternity in Hall of Fame voting. We're chatting with Mel Antonin here on the Bat Around. Glenn Clark hanging out with uh, Craig and Stan this morning. Um, Mel, before I move on to talk about the the Orioles in action on uh, Fan Fest weekend, I, just one thought about next year. Look, everybody, I think it's pretty safe to assume that Mariana Rivera is is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But where are you with with Roy Halladay? And I know it's an emotional subject, obviously. That, but I, I think a lot of people think that no matter what, he was always a first ballot Hall of Famer. And I think I've heard from people that say, I, I don't know. I don't know if I feel that way. Where are you at with Halliday? Uh, very close. I don't know how I'd vote. If I had to vote today, I don't know how I would. He had two Cy Youngs, and he had two other years where he finished second in the Cy Young. So he definitely had some dominant seasons. Was he dominant long enough to be in the Hall of Fame? That's my question. I'm not really sure. I have to think about it. 203 or 204 wins? That's not a lot. Right. I understand, again, the argument with wins, but that also tells you uh, longevity as well. So I think it's going to be very, very close. He did get an emotional boost because of the tragic uh, plane accident, no question about that. But I'm very close. If you just look at dominance, yes. Yeah. He's dumb enough to be in the Hall of Fame. Was he dominant long enough? I don't know yet. I have to think about it. All right, now uh, let's let's get to this off season. We did have a little bit of an uptick this week as we see the moves the Brewers made and and getting Yelich and Lorenzo Cain and. I don't know if that means that finally some of these other dominoes are about to fall. I mean, they have to fall at some point, right? Like, I mean, we're not going to get the the start of the season with this many top-of-the-line free agents unemployed. But I guess in general, Mel, what do you make of how slow this particular offseason has been for the top-tier guys? And are we? do you feel like this is going to be something that's going to just fall in line, I don't know, the week that everybody starts reporting the spring training? Or are we going to get to this in the next week or two? I think we'll get to it in the next week or two. But I think the reason we have a slow market is you have basically a lot of players who are over who are pricing themselves out of the market. I think ownership and general managers have wised up to the point where um, where they're not going to give a 30-year-old hitter, a 31-year-old hitter, 200 million pitcher, two hundred million dollars. Jake Arrieta is 32 years old. He wants 180 to 200 million dollars. Ten years ago, teams might have done that. Five years ago, teams might have done that. But I don't think they're going to do that now. It would be ridiculous to give Arietta that kind of money. He's 
he's he's a top-notch pitcher, no question. But is he worth 180 million? I mean, Mark Trumbull learned that last year with the Orioles yeah. when he had that big home run season in 2016. He thought, "Gee, I'm going to make 150, 160 million." The market isn't there for that. I think the market is adjusting with common sense on ownership side. It, it also feels like there's there's if you're going to spend Boku amounts of money, you're going to spend them on players that are smarter bets, right? The, 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 you're, I think it's obviously that the Harper and Machado looming next year plays a huge role in this but like if you're going to spend big money it's not going to be on a guy that's going into his mid-30s the big money has to be spent on players that are younger and that you have more reason to think you'll get more out of them for the length of the contracts yeah i mean look at harper and machado if you give them seven or eight year contracts you're you're going to be getting them in the prime of their career but so yeah i think you're right on that um it's just it's just common sense that in, in an age where hopefully steroids are out of the game, younger players, more athletic players are more important than 33, 34-year-old pitchers who uh, you know, making a lot of money. Payroll flexibility is important. Player development is important. And um, I think teams are focused on that. I mean, look what the Astros have done. Look what the Cubs have done. Right. Look what the Twins are doing. You've got to build a foundation before you spend money, and I think people are, teams are starting to realize that. You can't do it the other way around. Um, it's with that in mind that we get to the Orioles finally here with Mel Antonin. Um, where is their foundation, and and what are they trying to be in the next few years? Because everybody knows who's coming up for free agency. Everybody knows that it's not as if there's a nucleus of 10 really young players that's coming up next. Like, what exactly are the Orioles, and why haven't they dealt Manny Machado to this point? Because uh, the, 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 I think the Orioles would have liked to have dealt Manny Machado if they could have got market price for what they thought was good for him. They're stuck in a real bind because they're a good enough team to contend, and yet they're right on the verge of saying, gee, it's time to rebuild, particularly yeah. with the Manny contract. But you can make an argument that if the, if, if the Orioles get some decent starting pitching, I mean, better pitching. Think how bad their pitching was last year, and they still they were in contention in September. So if they get decent starting pitching, they can be a contender. There's no question about that. But you can also make the legitimate argument that, gee, it's time to rebuild because they can't get the pitching they need, and that's where Manny Machado trade comes in. Uh, the reason they haven't traded Machado is they're not getting the two uh, the two blue chip pitchers, uh, two young pitchers that uh, are virtually major league ready they're not getting those in the offers and this is one trade they can't make they can't just dump manny machado so they're definitely between a rock and a hard place okay question it's not easy but mel if they're not willing to spend the money necessary and i get it like it it is absurd money for the, the guys like lance lynn alex cobb appear to be looking for right now if if they're not willing to spend that money to go get those pitchers to try to load up and give them a chance this season then isn't there some point at which they have to say, well, we need to deal Machado for as much as we can get because you know, we, we can't leave ourselves in a spot where we don't win and we get next to nothing for him. Yeah, that's that's an option. Who knows? if Maybe you know they've got money coming off the books of all those contracts off the books. There's some free money there. Maybe they are in the market for, uh, for some, uh, for, for some free, you know, top-notch free agents. But, uh, who knows if they are hard, but they still need they need some pitching depth, and they got to go different. 
they they got to do it the trade route. They got to look at the free agent route. They got to look at you know bounce back seasons from Chris Tillman. Yeah, you're right. Um, I would think that if the, the White Sox or the or the Cardinals or the Diamondbacks had given them two really good pitchers for Manny Machado, they would have taken it. But again, you cannot you cannot give it away. You cannot you can't give Manny Machado away, and you just have to hope that the market is better come July 31st or maybe in spring training. Uh, maybe circumstances league change and there's a market for Manny Machado. Do, do you believe that I think there's a lot of people in town that believe that the most likely scenario for the Orioles is the rotation is Bundy, Gaussman, um, you know, maybe a, a Tillman back on a one-year flyer or whatever, you know, really low-level free agent they add into the mix plus a Rule 5 guy in the rotation and maybe Miguel Castro. I think there's a lot of fear from Orioles fans, that that's what this rotation ends up looking like. Are they far off from that being the most likely scenario? I think that is right now. That's a likely scenario, but who knows? There's a lot of pitchers on the market. Maybe the market favors the Orioles. Uh, but yeah, it would be great if the Orioles could get Jason Vargas and Andrew Kashner and a bounce back season from Chris Tillman, and then let Miguel Castro and Alec Asher develop a little bit more. That would be the ideal situation. Yeah. But the pitching market is very, very tough right now. And I think people are making assumptions that the Orioles are out of it for big-time pitchers. Maybe they're not. I don't know. We'll see. It's bizarre that they need three starting pitchers and, you know, less than a month from now their first exhibition game in spring training goes. <laughs> they just keep the hoping to wait to see if the market comes back to them, and and we'll see at that point. All right, he is Mel Antonin from Masson. Um, Mel, what can we plug for you? Where can people see or hear you next or check you out on social media? Well, you can always follow me at Twitter at Mel Antonin, and then, of course, I'll be in the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report all next week, 5 to 6 o'clock. And then check me out every now and then XM, although I'm not sure when I'm going to be there. Thanks a million. Hey, Mel, always appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time for us. And there you have it. And our our thanks to both Mel Antonin of Masson Sports and Glenn Clark of PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Of course, the Glenn Clark radio show heard Monday through Friday from 10 to 12 right on this same spot on your, uh, what do you say, on your computer, right? Or your phone. Go to PressBox Sports slash radio, www.pressboxsports.com. Excuse me, www.pressboxonline.com slash radio. All right, we are going to take our first time out of the morning. And when we get back on this FanFest morning, uh, we are going to be joined by Jim Callis of MLB.com and MLBPipeline.com. We'll find out uh, just how the pipeline started uh, many moons ago, and we'll find out about tonight's big show at 8 o'clock on MLB.com, where this year's top 100 prospects will be unveiled for all. We will be right back after this. Coming to the Owings Mills Metro Center soon, Hammer and Nails Grooming Shop for Guys, where they offer hand and foot grooming, barbering, and straight razor shaves, all in a relaxed man cave nirvana. You get your own TV and remote, top-of-the-line noise-canceling headphones, and a complimentary beverage, all while you kick back in a seat that has been custom-crafted with your comfort being the number one priority. Trust me when I say, this is a -a one-of-a-kind experience that will have you feeling like a modern-day king. That's Hammer and Nails Grooming Shop for 
guys coming soon to the Owings Mills Metro Center. Find out more by going to hammerandnailsgrooming.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. For the first time ever, it's our best of Baltimore sports double issue as we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of the last 12 months, including the announcement of our first ever local sports person of the year. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Our children's futures start at a very young age, and Catholic schools prepare them for that future. Academic excellence with the belief that all students will succeed. A balanced curriculum integrating music and arts, foreign language, and Catholic faith, while challenging students in the areas of science, math, and technology. Discover the Catholic school's difference. Please visit archbalt.org slash schools for more information. Right now is your best time to upgrade into a new Chevrolet or Mitsubishi during Jerry's Trade-In, Trade-Up event. Jerry's is offering up to 130% Kelly Blue Book value for your trade. Take advantage of Jerry's lowest prices on all the new 2018 Chevy and Mitsubishi models, including Malibus, Equinox, and Colorado trucks. Plus, they come with Jerry's extended service care, featuring four years of free maintenance. Visit Jerry's Chevrolet on Joppa Road or online at jerryschevrolet.com. This week on Section 336, we get together to discuss Orioles Fan Fest coming up this Saturday. Hey, I, 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 I have an idea. How about, you know, when you go up to get stuff signed, they, they sign whatever. What if I brought in a little Manny Machado contract, five years, 50 million, something team friendly, uh, and I get Manny Machado to sign that at Fan Fest? Brilliant. <laughs> All right, we'll talk about that this week on Section 336. Full Circle to Iron Auto would like to thank the Harford County Sheriff's Department and the Baltimore County and Baltimore City Police Departments. Any active or retired employee can receive 8.75% off up to $100 on any service. We are proud to serve you. Thank you for serving us. The deal lasts through January 31st, and that's Full Circle Tire and Auto at 410-676-CARS. That's 410-676-2277 at 1304 Governor's Court, Suite 110 in Abingdon, Maryland. FullCircleTireAndAuto.com. Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling yeah, podcast. That, that, Look, just, just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to Jobbing Out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, <laughs> real quick. It's Jobbing Out, Glenn Clark, Aaron Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins here Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com And we are back on the bat around. Stan the Fan and in case you're wondering where Craig Heist is today, he got an opportunity to once again make the big bucks by doing Nats Talk on Mass and Sports uh, so we wish Craig Heist a happy birthday, and maybe we'll see him back in the studio next week. But as I said, Stan the Fan, the bat around, and joining us right now, somebody I've been looking forward to talking to, and that is uh, Jim Callis of MLB.com and MLBPipeline.com. Jim, thank you for taking some time out of what I know is an exciting day for you. Yeah, no problem. 
It's uh, Top 100 Prospects Day. It is Top 100 Prospects Day. Can you give me, first of all, I get confused at my age now. I just turned 66. Was it you that started the the Top 100 Prospects, which was originally Top 50? No, well, no. We Baseball, the first play, I was at Baseball America and in 19, I want to say it was 1990, the Sporting News did a Top 100 Prospects, and I think it might even have been a book that was done okay. by Rob Raines, who also wrote for Baseball America at the time as well. And I remember seeing that and telling the guys, we were a much smaller staff at Baseball America back then, telling the guys, look, you know, we're the experts on this stuff. We should be doing a Top 100 Prospects list. So we, we launched the first Baseball America Top 100 Prospects list in 1990, um, and then I've only been MLB.com for the last five years. I know they were doing a, a top prospects list. It started off as a 50 and became a hundred, but I'll be honest, I don't off the top of my head know what the first year they did theirs was. It might have been around 2000 or so. All right, and and clue me in. So I refer to it as the show tonight at eight o'clock. This will be unveiled on MLB.com or the MLB TV station, but what is MLB Pipeline? Is that a is that a sort of an adjunct website that people can look up for just prospect information? Yeah, it's the prospect section of the MLB.com webs uh, of the MLB.com overall website. So it's MLB Pipeline is where we put all of our prospect stuff. And, and the nice thing is with our site is, is everything's free. Like they're, they're, Everything is available. There's no password. There's no subscription price. Everything we do is 100% free at MLB Pipeline and MLB.com. All right. Well, I like the sound of that because a lot of stuff is going to try and, and get these paywalls, uh, and free sounds good to me. Uh, we're talking with Jim Callis of MLB.com and MLBPipeline.com. I was looking up, I don't think you want to unveil much of, of the 2018 tonight, but I was looking at the 2017 last night, and I had forgotten that you had Shohei Otani as number one last year. Well, we put him on the list. I mean, our list is, is a little different than other lists because we kind of update it, quasi-update it all the time. We don't, okay. like for instance, you know, I know you're there in Baltimore, like when Austin Hayes emerges, we don't really have a mechanism to say, hey, we have Austin Hayes too low, let's move him up. But what we do do is if you have a guy who graduates to the big leagues, because he, you know, like let's say, you know, Aaron Judge was on our list to start last year. Mm-hmm. Once he's played enough to, to, you know, lose his rookie eligibility going forward, then we take Aaron Judge off our list and add a guy. And similarly, with a guy like Otani, who signed in December, when guys like that sign, we add them to the list. Gotcha. So he was. He was not on the list. The list that's on our 2017 list that's on our site is, is essentially our list that we did last July, and then we moved off guys who graduated in the second half of the season and added some new guys toward the end, and then we added Otani when he signed in December. All right. Now I, now I understand that a little bit better. Also, you moved pretty quick to change affiliations. I noticed that Lewis Brinson, uh, who, was, who was number 13 on your list, uh, was already marked as now a Miami Marlin. Right, and, and that's the other thing that we update, too. I forgot about that. If there's a trade like the other day, we saw the, the, the big Christian Yelich trade, we immediately, you know, we didn't, we didn't change where Brinson was on the 2017 Top 100, but we do immediately switch him over to the Marlins, 
and then we take him off our Brewers list, add some new Brewers to that list, and then insert him and Monte Harrison and Isan Diaz on the Marlins list where we feel is appropriate. So yeah, we that's our thing. It's 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 weird because it gets a little confusing because yeah. we do stuff like that. It looks like we updated it just yesterday, but then you look and there's a guy and I don't have it right in front of me. You know, Austin Hayes is much lower because we updated that list in July than he will be when we you know, have the new list come out tonight. Like, I think he's number 89 on the top 100. And without giving too much away, I mean, that's at least 60 or 70 spots too low for where he really deserves to be. But we don't have a way to update that. So it's, it's confusing where, you know, again, it looks like we updated it yesterday, which we did for the Yelich right, trade. I got you. But we don't update the existing guys. So it's, it's, there's no perfect way to do it, but we do try to respond to, to guys changing organizations or signing or whatever. I found it very timely that, that I could see that Diaz and Brinson were already on, on the Marlins, so I knew that. Um, let's start with that trade, Christian Yelich, without, again, asking you to give me numbers on the 2018 how did the Marlins make out in their return for Christian Yelich? Well, I thought that was by far the best of the trades they made. I, I, I hated the Stanton trade. I didn't really like the Marcelo Zuna trade. The Gordon trade wasn't as bad. But, you know, you, you can't you, – anybody who's been in the fantasy league, you can't go around and tell everybody, hey, i got to trade this guy, I'm going to trade this guy, because when you do that, you're not going to get the best offers. You give all your leverage away. Yep. And in this case – they played the Yelich deal a lot smarter. I mean, I think everybody knew Yelich wanted out, but they didn't have to trade him. He he wasn't making a ton of money to you know they they gotten their payroll down close to where they wanted it, so it wasn't where they were going out and telling everybody, oh geez, we have no money, we got to get rid of this guy, give us ten cents on the dollar. So I like the trade. I mean, I liked it from the Brewers' standpoint too. I mean, from the Brewers' standpoint, they gave up two outfielders and they have plenty of outfield depth. And then they went outside Lorenzo Cain. So, I mean, it's, it's not like they didn't have outfielders to spare. I do like Isan Diaz, but they have a better bat first second baseman in Keston Hiera, who was their first-round pick this year. And Yamamoto's interesting, but he wasn't a top prospect. So from the Brewers' standpoint, you kind of gave away you know, players who were going to be redundant. You, you had better mm-hmm. options. From the Marlins' standpoint, I think Brinson and Monte Harrison, the two outfielders they got, are their two best prospects. Um, they're both very good athletes. They both have 30-30 potential. There are some swing and miss concerns with those guys, but um, they're, they're both very talented. Um, and then they could be 30-30 guys. Diaz had a, a bad year this year. He, he dealt with some injuries. But the two years before that, he was one of the best hitting young middle infield prospects in baseball. So I liked him. And, and Yamamoto is a guy who, who doesn't have overpowering stuff but, but misses bats. He's, he's got a high spin rate for people who are into that. So it, that, that one made more sense to me. I mean, I do think the problem with the Marlins going forward is they didn't get enough for Stanton. They didn't get enough for Azuna. They should have gotten a lot more. And the problem is they have that they had going into last year like one of the worst farm systems in baseball. I mean, right. and it had been for a couple of years. And now, you know, especially with this last trade, it's improved, but it's probably, you know, in the 15 to 20 range if you were ranking all the farm systems in baseball. And so the problem is it, it's not like you have a lot of building blocks on the big league club and you're waiting for prospects to arrive. You, you basically have JT Real Muto and not much else at all on the big league club. And so even if the, you know, some of these guys aren't going to pan out. I mean, that's the way prospects are. They're not all going to be as good as we think they're going to be. But, you know, even if the, you know, let's say they're, they're, they're luckier than most teams and more of these guys pan out than, than normally do, I, I just don't think there's enough in the farm system to add to a, a, a big league team that's basically been stripped to have much of a club when you're done with all that. So it's, uh, I think, you know, they, they've reduced their payroll. Okay. They, they, yeah. they accomplished that goal. They accomplished but, like, that they're going to be bad for a while. Uh, 
one of the things that struck me in going over last night, I found myself sometimes when I see the the top one hundred a top one hundred list, I want to see how many players each team has, and it struck me as interesting that seven teams have 41 of the top 100 prospects. I might be off a number or two, but San Diego's got six. Philadelphia's got six. Atlanta, even with their problems, has seven. Tampa has seven. Yankees, White Sox have five each. Uh, And Cincinnati has five each. So a lot of teams have zero prospects uh, or one on that top 100 list. Yeah, and on our, our new list, I don't have it all sitting right in front of me right now. I know on our new list, and I, I can give this away. We have, yep. We've been briefed on what we're allowed to talk about in advance. Uh, on the new list, the Braves have more prospects than anybody with eight, and the Padres and White Sox have seven each. Yep. And I do think those are probably the three best farm systems uh, in baseball. I, I would rank the Padres as the best farm system, and then I would go with the – with the White Sox two and the Braves three, although that one's a little bit closer, but uh, you know it, it, it's not always that kind of correlation. But uh, in this case, the, the three teams that will have the most prospects on our our new list that's out tonight do have the three best farm systems in baseball. Where where do you think the Orioles are? Uh, you know, for, and this goes back, in fairness to Peter Angelos and Dan Duquette, this goes back to the early '80s after Ripken. There was about a 15-year period where I think they developed David Segui from from their own farm system. They had traded for Chris Oils and Brady Anderson, and it didn't get much better in the early 2000s where only Brian Roberts and Marcakis kind of came up through the system. Where are they now, though? Because it does seem like they have some talent percolating in the system. Yeah, I mean, you know, for a long time, the Orioles have not had one of the better farm systems in baseball. They've ranked in the bottom half or even closer to the bottom yep. for a couple of reasons. One, they they just have not if, – if I don't have, you know, numerical data in front of me, but if you were, you know, to look at the value that teams have gotten out of the draft in the last 15 or 20 years, the Orioles have gotten less than most clubs. Yep. And secondly, and this kind of still baffles me, they're really the one team that doesn't – pursue latin american talent um to- totally punt the whole they punt yeah the which whole... i mean it's not like they've signed guys and they haven't pan out they just don't sign guys from latin america which is crazy to me when you look at you know i mean i mean i think the top six players on our top 100 prospects list tonight were all international signees mm-hmm. and if you just look at the big leagues i mean you know what is it a third of the players are, are from foreign countries yep. and and so that makes it very difficult when you're just ignoring that I, I do think the Orioles. I mean, they're not. They're probably. They would probably be kind of in that middle of the pack range right. too. Where I was talking about the Marlins, which is a noted improvement. I mean, you've got you know Austin Hayes, who I touched on a little bit. Ryan Mountcastle's very interesting hitter. Um, Chance Sisko is one of the best catching prospects in baseball. They've got some interesting lefties and guys like D.L. Hall and Tanner Scott and Keegan Aiken. Um, I do like. Uh, Hunter Harvey, you know, it's just a question of health with him. I mean, he's, he, he will not be in our top 100 tonight. He's that caliber of prospect. If he stays healthy, he, you'll see him on our list at midseason. Cedric Mullins is another guy who has, uh, I think, really exceeded expectations. I think a guy like Cody Sedlock can bounce back. So, I mean, there is some talent in the farm system. I think it's deeper than it's been in, in a while. 
Um, and it'll be interesting to see how some of these guys develop. But it, it's still not – I mean, I would not put it in necessarily the, the, the upper tier of farm systems by any means. And I still just remain baffled by the decision not to touch Latin American prospects at all. Let me possibly give you an answer there. I, I live here in Baltimore and have followed the Orioles pretty darn closely since I started my radio career around 1981-82. They have an owner who's now 89 years of age. And he is probably, Ross Grimsley pointed this out to me in the baseball, not the Baseball America Almanac, the one that has the list how organizations, uh, the organizational uh, depth in different categories. And he pointed out to me how thin the Orioles scouting staff is. And I'm wondering if Dan Duquette said, if Peter Angelos isn't going to give me the, the financing to really have a, a top-caliber scouting department, why am I going to try and hit or miss on guys that I really don't have coverage for? Maybe we're better off always trading out of that and getting some fringe prospects that at least our people have put eyeballs on. Is that um, a possibility? Guess, maybe, although, I mean, I, Doesn't I mean defend obviously it. it comes from ownership. I yeah. mean, you only have the... You know, they, they, I think they list two, like in our director, in the Baseball America director, I think they list two international scouts in Latin America, which is crazy. Yeah. And, and like, if it's a question of resources, yes, you know, I mean, that's probably a decision that comes from ownership. And I'm not picking on Dan here, and yeah. I'm sure Dan's probably tried, but if that's the case, Dan probably needs to try to convince Peter Angelos that they need to invest in Latin America. Because the problem is, when you, when you, when you ignore that, there, there, there's too many talent. It's hard enough to find talented players. And if you just ignore a whole demographic, it's like during when, when Moneyball was in vogue and people were saying, hey, you know, you know there's this thought, uh, you know, college players are better than high school players, which wasn't true if you actually studied it closely. But, but the book kind of popularized that myth. Yeah. But there are enough players in the draft to just say, well, we're going to ignore high school players. I mean, if you ignore high school players, I mean, I'll just take the Orioles, for example, then you wouldn't have drafted Manny Machado. Right. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't have drafted Chance Sisko. Uh, you wouldn't have drafted Ryan Malcastle. Those are th- three of their best young hitters. Um, you know, you look at, you know, they got Scope out of out of the Netherlands and Tillys. I mean, yep. he's one of their better guys. Yep. Um, so you, you just, you can't, the talent is so precious, you just can't ignore, yeah, I... you know, one, one area of it. So, and, and the other problem is, is when you do, you're signing these guys for the most part at 16, 17 years old, and so even in the best, you know, unless you get like a superstar like a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or you know, or, or you know, like a Miguel Cabrera years ago, you know, usually it's going to take these guys you know five, six years to develop. So the, the problem is, even if like the Orioles today decided, hey, yeah, we need to invest, we're going to go all in on Latin America, or we're going to at least be representative like the other teams are, even if they started just crushing it. It's going to be you three to five. It's going to be three to like, five years before yeah. you get any impact. That's what I'm saying. It. It's, yeah. it's going to be 2023 before you see some of these guys really do anything. So that, that's the problem. It's twofold. You're you're missing out on talent, and then when you get started back up, it's not like okay, you know, we're going to start back up, and then we'll reap the benefits in a couple of years. It's going to take a while. We're talking with Jim Callis of MLB.com and MLBPipeline.com. The top 100 prospects for 200, 2018 are debuted tonight. It's on a TV show, right, on uh, MLB? Uh, MLB. Yeah, MLB will be on MLB Network at 8 Eastern. And at the same time, if people don't have MLB Network, um, you can watch the show live on MLB.com as well. All right, and then. what's cool is we'll have 
Jonathan Mayo and Mike Rosenbaum and I, who put together the list, will be live tweeting and answering questions. And we'll also have, I think it's eight prospects, or at least eight, maybe a few more of the top 100 prospects will be live tweeting as well. All right, I got a couple more quick questions for you. Sure. Your 2017 list, which you explained was updated in sort of July, has Otani at number one and Brendan McKay at number 20. Both are considered two-way players. Is this something we're going to see more and more of, or do you think they are totally an anomaly? I think it's more of a unique situation. And there were some other interesting guys last year who signed, you know, Hunter Green, who went number two overall, the Reds, although he's going to be strictly a pitcher. The Royals had a guy named Nick Prado. They took him in the first round, who was a two-way guy. I think they're more of an anomaly. And I'm not really sure how it's going to play out. With, with Otani, he's kind of a special case. I mean, they changed the CBA, and so he, if, he'd, if he'd waited two more years to come over under the current rules, he probably would have signed for over $200 million. Yep, he would have um, been. And, but he gave away that power, but he did have the leverage. He, he wants to play both ways. He wants that challenge. So you, aren't, you weren't going to sign Shohei Otani without allowing him to, do, to both hit and pitch. Now, that said, I do think most teams prefer him as a pitcher, although he's a very talented position player, too, and there are some teams that, that think he, he might be you know, as good or better as a position player. I honestly do think that, given, you know, maybe, you know, I don't think the Angels would say this publicly, but I'd say most teams would have Otani focus on one. Like, like if, if, you had, if, if, you, if he didn't have the leverage to say, I want to do both, I think you would just let Otani pitch. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe pinch hit here and there. With McKay, it'll be interesting. Um, you know, he did both at Louisville. He, he was the best two-way player in college baseball three years in a row. Um, he actually, I, I know that it, it, he was interesting because the first three teams in the draft last year all liked him more as a pitcher. The Rays had picked fourth and took him, and the Braves liked him more as a hitter. I mean, not that it was, like, one-sided, but that's just the way they felt. He actually had more success in his pro debut, small sample size, as a pitcher, and he wants to do both, and the Rays are going to try to let him do both. I'm of the opinion, I mean, having talked to people, if it were me, I would rather have a guy focus on one and be as good as he could at that one endeavor rather than maybe getting him to be less than he can be on on both sides of the ball. And I just just think the physical toll is, is just very difficult. To do both now, in McKay's case, it'd be first base. Otani's case, he's going to DH. So it's, I mean, you know, Hunter Green, who I mentioned, was a shortstop. You know, you, you can't play shortstop and pitch; it's too much toll on your arm. But I, I just think, with with you know, as difficult as it is to be good, really good, you know, is either just a hitter or a pitcher. It takes a lot out of you to try to do both. But it'll be interesting to see. I, I like, and I'm torn. I mean, as a I'm not in charge of an organization. Like, if I was running a team, I would want these guys to do one. As a fan, I'm totally interested in seeing how they do it both. Like, I'm curious to see how it plays out um, with Otani and Brendan McKay. But I I don't think we're going to see a lot of this. And it really wouldn't surprise me if with McKay, you know, when he's starting to do this over a full season, I mean, you know, the college season is about 60 games long, and he was tired at the end of the college season, if – by the end of the year, the Rays have decided they're just going to have him focus on one or the other. One quick, one quick thing. I had Dan O'Dowd on about six weeks ago, and he sort of said the same thing you did, that he thinks that Otani could be great at one or the other, you know, either a great hitter or a great starting pitcher. What about the notion of taking one of these guys, using the hitting tool as an everyday player, trying to use them in the seventh or eighth inning almost like a – co-closer 
co-setup man who comes in and can go right back out in the field. Do you think we'd ever see somebody have the guts to do that, or the, or is it too risky injury-wise? Um, I think it would depend on the position. Again, if you were like a first baseman or an outfielder or DH, you could do that. Yeah. And it, you know, it's funny. I mean, I, Dan's awesome. We, Dan's actually on the show tonight. He, we taped the show with Dan I love yesterday, Dan. and, I, and I love working with Dan. And we, we, we had that same conversation. Or I think he again would have a guy do one. Yeah. He's run teams, but he also, as a fan, was saying he kind of wants to see how it plays out too. The, the, with the two, with these two guys, McKay is more of that. You know, not a crafty lefty, because that makes it sound like he throws eighty-five miles an hour. But McKay's not an overpowering closer type. McKay had, commands his fastball well. He's got a good curveball, but he's like kind of a low nineties guy. I, I don't think McKay's the type of guy who would come in and you know be able to close down games, or he doesn't mm-hmm. have that kind of stuff. Now that said. You could maybe if McKay and I like McKay better as a hitter. Let's say McKay's your everyday first baseman. Maybe you use him as a situational lefty. That's exactly what um, I'm talking about. You know, you about. could do that because that would be interesting. Yeah. Although then I don't know if you like use him and then you put it back at first. You know, who you have stationed at first. But it, yep. it would be interesting uh-huh. with Otani, and I like Otani better as a pitcher. But with Otani, you could do that because yep. Otani's got. You know, he's, he's thrown the fastest pitch ever in Japan at 102.5 miles an hour, and he's got a wipeout slider and a wipeout splitter. And his stuff is more overwhelming than his control and command, which aren't bad, but they're not they're not sharp. They're just kind of okay. And so Otani would kind of maybe fit that role. Now, that said, I do think there's more desire among most teams to have Otani as a pitcher, so I don't think they necessarily... Yeah. Do that, but but you but he would have he would kind of fit that profile of the type of guy who could do that. Right? McKay would be McKay to me has more value as a starting pitcher than he would as a as a late inning guy. Late inning guy. All right. Um, I don't know what your schedule is, but uh, could we try and get you on sometime in the next month to talk about this year's uh, sure program? Okay. Uh, again, eight o'clock tonight on MLB TV, or you can stream it at MLB.com. Top 100 prospects revealed with uh, our guest Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and, of course, uh, my friend Dan O'Dowd will be on the show as well. Jim, thanks very much for joining us. Oh, great talking to you. Thanks All a lot. Right, there you go. Jim Callis. Uh, and we're going to make our contacts in just a moment with probably one of the happiest guys on the planet, and that is my friend Bill Latson, uh, who I've gotten to know through Craig Heist. I've never met really met Bill Latson but Bill's been on our show probably 30, 40 times over the last couple of years. Love Bill Latson, and the reason he's so happy is because one of his favorite players of all time, and frankly one of my favorites of all time, Vladimir Guerrero is going into the Hall of Fame, went from 71% up to like 93%. I heard uh, Chris Russo, the Mad Dog, yesterday on his show, High Heat, on uh on XM uh, Sirius talking about that. It's kind of amazing that somebody would go up 23%, 22% from year one to year two. Joining us right now is MLB.com. His his uh, uh, column is called Newsmakers at MLB.com. He's a very fine writer and podcaster, Bill Latson. Bill, thank you for doing this again, back-to-back weeks. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me, Stan. And best news of all, on Craig Heist's birthday, he's not here today. Yeah, I mean, that's great news. I mean, oh. I don't have to hear about <laughs> how great Rafael Palmero was and <laughs> stuff like that. So that's uh, that's a good thing. Hey, um, 
he mentioned to you this week, he said, why not have Latson on again? Because he'll be so giddy about the fact that his guy, Vladimir Guerrero, has gone into the Hall of Fame. I know you are giddy. It's kind of crazy that a guy goes from 71% to 93% in one year. He was really well-deserving of first ballot Hall of Fame last year. No question about it, Stan. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Stan, he, he should have been a first ballot, and it should have been much higher last year. I, mean, yep. I don't know what people were thinking. He is by far the best player I ever covered. No question. I, I mean, don't doubt that at all. Yeah, uh, Run, you know. Uh, now, run. let me just be clear. You covered him back when he first came up as a raw rookie, with, and it wasn't raw, but a rookie with the Montreal Expos, correct? No, no, I wasn't. I was, I was there when he was in his prime. Okay, and um, yeah, and he 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 could do everything, man. I mean, everything. Why do you think it is? You think it was because some because it's not sufficient to me to hear that. Well, like I heard, um, I heard uh, Casey Stern yesterday saying if he had played in. New York or Boston or Chicago or a Dodger, but he played for seven or eight years with the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, what do you think it is that he was so undervalued a year ago? I, I just don't think enough people uh, saw him play. I, I, I believe that when certain players have a tough time getting into the Hall of Fame, like a Burt Blylevin or a Jack Morris, I just think that a lot of those writers didn't see them play. Yeah. I mean, if you saw if you saw Jack Morris play, for example, you would see that uh, he pitched a lot of innings, often led uh, you know the American League in wins, uh, er not ERA but uh, strikeouts, innings pitched. So I, I and I think of what her Jack Morris, for example, was a high ERA, and that shouldn't have mattered. Yeah, there were an awful lot of games when Jack Morris had big leads, and he just. He threw the ball over to play. He wasn't going to walk hitters, and a few That's of them correct. hit the ball out of the ballpark. That's correct. Uh, I mean, he was uh, he was that good. Same thing with Burt Blylevin. I mean, Burt Blylevin. I mean, he struck out a lot of hitters, and but he would always have records of like let's say twenty and fifteen or seventeen and seventeen. But the guy was outstanding. I mean, the guy had a lasting career that is worth, uh, you know, to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, you and I are both happy that he's uh, made it, and it was only one year delayed, and uh, uh, we we congratulate Vladimir Guerrero. How about the other three players that made it? And in the last week, uh, Edgar Martinez fell out of that group. Uh, Trevor Hoffman kind of popped back up into the group, and Mike Mussina fell by the wayside a little bit. Well, I wouldn't say Mike Vicina fell by the wayside. I think uh, it's a matter of time uh, before he goes in the Hall of Fame. I think he's going in now. And people keep talking about how he faced, uh, you know, the American League East uh, quite a bit. Yep. You know, he played during the steroid era and still won big time. So I think Mike Vicina, you know, for Craig Heist's sake, he is going to the Hall of Fame. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And, you know, uh, I have to, I have to kind of not laugh because I, I don't love Mike Mussina as a guy personally, you know, but I respected the hell out of him as a pitcher. And I look at the knock against him, like by somebody like Chris Russo says, three point six eight ERA, not not great. Well, Glavin's career ERA is three point five four. Glavin's last five years in the big leagues, he went 61-56 and 56 with a 3.980 ERA. 
I'm convinced right. Mussina could have hung around another three years, gotten the 300 victories and done that kind of pitching. Um, I just think he was a, a, a much more deserving first or second year Hall of Famer in, in the case oh, of Mussina. I think, I don't know about his first or second year, but I, I think of the way he ended his career on a great note, yep. won 20 games. I, I think he showed that he still had a lot of game uh, left in him. So I think, um, you know, um, you know, I think the way his career ended, I think is a matter of time before he gets in. Let me talk about a couple players, uh, two or three players that I think have really uh, been underappreciated in this. And they, I'm, I'm not saying they're in danger of falling off the ballot anytime soon, but the, the clock is ticking. Fred McGriff, Jeff Kent, and Billy Wagner. Uh, never a hint of uh, scandal with any of the three of them about the steroids. All three of them, very dominant players uh, in their career. Do you think any of the three or all three are deserving? There's no question that all of them are deserving. Uh, as a matter of fact, you mentioned Jeff Kent. I wrote a story about him a couple of days ago. There's no doubt in my mind. I mean, this guy was a dominant second baseman, and the reason Jeff Kent is not in the Hall of Fame. It's because he, he, because he didn't treat writers great. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. And I got to tell you, in my dealings with Jeff Kent, the, the guy has been beautiful. Yeah. Um, he tells the truth. He speaks the truth. I just think, uh, you, you know, I think the media has to get over uh, the type of person he was off the field, because as on the field, he was a great player. Yeah. There's no question. I hit more home runs than any second baseman in the history of the game. Correct. That's yeah. correct. And, and, uh, and Billy Wagner, that, that, Billy Wagner is just a sensational relief pitcher over a long period of time. Yes. But what I think hurt Billy Wagner is that Billy Wagner, um, didn't go far in the postseason, And yeah. when he was in the postseason. He didn't do very well. Yep. I think that hurt him. And I mean, during the regular season, there's no question he was a dominant uh, closer. But um, I think what's tough for him, and I think he's a Hall of Famer, is that he just didn't shine in the postseason. So, like a Rivera uh, and whatnot. So, I think that's what happened there. We're talking with Bill Latson of uh, MLB.com. We're kind of wrapping up the Hall of Fame. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I think we've about played it out. It is great, though, that Alan Trammell and Jack Morris are not only going in from the Veterans Committee, but I think it's real special that they're going in together. Yes, I mean, the way they helped that team in 84, and both of them were consistent every year. And, you know, I'll never forget uh, regarding Jack Morris. When he beat the Atlanta Braves in the 91 World Series in Game 7, once that happened, I never forget, I, I looked at the TV and I said, oh my God, Jack Morris is going into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And, I, and I thought he was going to be a first ballot, but to my surprise, everyone kept talking about the ERA. It seemed like the ERA 3.90 really hurt him in the long run, but, uh, but now justice has been served and he's going in. Yeah, he's kind of like this generation's Burt Blylevin, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's no question he... You know, he deserves to be in there, and, uh, you know, I'm sure he's been emotional since, he be, since he's been in, and I'm sure he's going to be emotional when he makes his speech. We're talking with Bill Latson of MLB.com. Bill, what have you been working on this past week? 
Well, I worked on um, a couple of things. Um, I I spoke to a guy by the name of Brian Hulk. He's from MLB.com. He has a new book out called The New Baby Bombers, uh, The Yankees Dynasty in the Making in the Future. And uh, I spoke to several members of the, the Dodgers from the 1968 draft, um, which is 50 years this year. It was uh, amazing talking to Davey Lopes, uh, Tom Bashurik. Those two guys were in there. And Richard Justice uh, was on my show as well. He's, he's always been great. Uh, Justice is one of the best. Hey, um, we've, we had a mini thaw at midweek this week with the Milwaukee Brewers of all teams making a lot of noise in one, in one foul swoop of about five, six hours where they made that trade. They traded four prospects for Christian Yelich, and then mm-hmm. they turned around and doubled down and um, signed Lorenzo Cain as a um, free agent for five years and $80 million. Uh, your thoughts on what they do next and how they came out of that night? I think it was a great night for Milwaukee. I think they're showing that the Cubs and uh, the Cubs are not going to be alone right. in that race. It's going to be a tough race in the, in the Central Division. And I still think in the future, though, they still need to pick up some pitching because, as you know, Jimmy Nelson is not going to start the season on time because right. of a shoulder injury. But uh, I, I think um, they're going to give uh, the Cubs a tough time. I mean, it's not going to be easy. I think they showed last year, even without those two guys, that they could be competitive. They were last year. They came close. And uh, and I've got to add the Cardinals in that, too. I mean, it's going to yeah. be a three team race for a while so um it's great to see i just i just still think that they might need some pitching to really go over the hump what are you hearing about the cubs and pitching uh do you think they're seriously the team to beat for you darvish at this point i mean it could be everyone keeps saying i i've heard the yankees as well so you just don't know i mean as you know the, the free agent period has been very slow so I don't know. I, I don't know how that's going to go. But, I mean, I don't see the Cubs just standing there not doing anything. Yes, they need some pitching. There's no question. And uh, But it's going to be slow going, it looks like, coming into spring training. This offseason and how slow the glacier-like pace of uh, free agency, how, how do you think Tony Clark is serving his union? And how do you think, more importantly, the players feel – that he's serving their union. No, I think he's. I think he's doing a great job. He's not afraid to speak his mind on even on the little things. So, I mean, you know, regarding pace of play, as you know, has been a big deal. I, I think he's been uh, doing a great job. I mean, the other day he was complaining about the Marlins and the Pirates, the way they're starting over. But uh, you, you know, I, I think he's doing a great job. I can't uh, complain about anything he's done. It's not like salaries have gone down. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, um, and the players are still getting paid. So there's no complaints, at least on my end. Bill, uh, American League East, the the two bottom teams from last year, um, have uh, had very interesting and and not so active off-seasons, and that's the Tampa Bay Rays and the uh, Baltimore Orioles. Tampa Bay did trade Longoria, do you expect them, and might they be a fit with the Brewers for some of those outfield prospects for a pitcher, say an Odorazi or something like that? 
you saw the Tampa Bay race. Yeah, Tampa right? Bay. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it could be a fit, but I mean, you know, I, I, I want to wait and see how how far they can go because you know, even though they let um, Longoria go, yeah, I, I I I do like the Norris man. I want to see how he does mm-hmm. because I know that look, you know, last year people forget they were competitive last year until up until mid September. So let, let me see what happens there. I want to see what, what other moves they make before spring training or even before opening day. Well, how, how, uh, be- how big a move is simply the return to health, if he is, of Matt Duffy, who they acquired in the Matt Moore trade? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it depends. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we got to wait until spring training. I mean, everyone say, says he's good now. Right. But let, let's, let's, let's see – how far it goes. I don't want to say he's going to have a great year and all that because, you know, he was a high touted prospect and uh, I'm going to wait and see before I say anything. I'm guessing that both for financial reasons and also to make way for him, that he's the proper fit with Hechevarria playing short. Duffy Mm -hmm. seems like the guy to to fill in those shoes for Evan Longoria. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I, you know, again, you know, yeah, injuries played a role with, with Duffy in San Francisco. But uh, before I say he's going to be great, I want to see how he does in spring training and early uh, opening day. Talking with Bill Latson of MLB.com. Bill, uh, the Orioles, um, they're having their fan fest today. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know how closely you follow this sort of thing, but – uh, the day before, by mid-afternoon yesterday, uh, an announcement came out by the ball club that Manny Machado and Jonathan Scope were not going to be at FanFest, whereas they Which had I don't think list- is a big deal. You don't, I don't think, think it's that's a, big a big deal? deal. No. Okay. No. Because, I mean, I mean they, they could have other commitments with family. I don't think that that's a big deal. I really don't. I mean... You know this recent fan fest with the Nationals. Bryce Harper didn't show up. Right. No big. I don't think that's a big deal, Stan. Uh, All right. You know the bottom line is, I I look at it this way: they're going to be there to start the season, and let's hope that Machado is resigned, and Jonathan Scope. I mean that guy's going to be there for a few more years, so I don't think that's going to be a big deal. All right, let's keep our fingers crossed uh, from your lips to God's ears. Um, the Miami Marlins have one more established player, JT Real Muto, uh, the catcher. Uh, and the word is that the Nationals are in play and, and interested in acquiring him. That's a pretty mm-hmm. good fit, isn't it? That's definitely a great fit because we saw Matt Weeders last year. And again, Craig is in denial about this. <laughs> I, I thought my, I thought Matt Williams was awful last year. Yeah, I mean, uh, offensively, defensively. Excuse me, during the playoffs, um, I don't know what Craig was watching. Yeah. So um, I, I just think yes, they need a, a another catcher, and I think that would be a great move for the Nationals. Yeah, I I think Craig sometimes really uh, the fan in him. Uh, takes yes. over a little bit of the objectivity. Listen, Matt Weeder's a terrific guy. You'd want him in any clubhouse, but that doesn't mean you'd want him in the lineup or behind home plate 140 times any longer. I mean, did you think uh, he was uh, he was good last year? I didn't see him that much because I don't watch the national games an awful lot. 
but I kept looking at his numbers, and he was. I think he ended up at one point he was like at two seventy five, you know, through about June, and then slowly but surely, and I think he ended up about two forty five, and then he may have had one of the worst uh, post seasons I've ever seen a catcher have. Yes, it was. It was pretty it, bad. It was so. really embarrassing. It was yes, really yes, bad. Yes, it was. So yes, I, I think the Nationals could use. Uh, Another starting catcher, yeah. If they got real Muto, do you think that that's kind of it for them, the Nationals? you think they're set then, or do you think they're in the market for either uh, still a Greg Holland or a, a starting pitcher? I can see them getting another starting pitcher, like a back end, of, of, because, you know, obviously the first three, you know, are pretty real good. So uh, I can see them getting a, the back end of a, of a, of a starter. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when it comes to Mike Rizzo, I'll never say he's done because, you know, one time he said, oh, we're not interested in uh, Max Scherzer. We're going to have to get rid of one of our starters if we do. And not only did they not get rid of their starter, they ended up getting uh, Max Scherzer as well, which turned out to be a great deal, a great move. Hey, um, uh, this next week or 10 days figures before teams start to report to spring training really Mm -hmm. figures to be an incredibly busy time. The Orioles have taken this sort of approach in each of Dan Duquette's seasons. They, they seem to start late in their off season. Could a couple pitchers fall into the Orioles arms or are there still too many pitchers in uh, too many teams in need of pitching help? Well, it's a combination of both. All the teams need pitching, but I mean that can stop the Orioles from uh, getting a, a starting pitcher or two. But yeah, I mean, uh, again, we can't. Uh, when it comes to the Orioles, we can't panic because even though we're close to spring training, you know the Orioles could still make some moves before opening day. So I'm, I mean, knowing Dan Duquette, I mean, I think he's a talented GM. I, I think he'll find a way to improve that pitching staff. And when you have Buck Showalter, who I think is a great manager, a great manager, I think uh, they'll find a way. Uh, we're talking with Bill Latson of MLB.com. Bill, uh, getting back to Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter, both of them are finishing their last years of their contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your gut feeling as to whether both could be back one could be back, and how this all might work out in Baltimore. And I and I'm asking you that. I know you're more of a national writer than a that not a nationals a national writer rather than a local writer. But how do you mm-hmm. see it playing out? Well, I think it depends on how the season goes. Uh, you, you know, I mean, it seems like they've been very patient. The organization is very patient with those two guys. They've done a great job. I think, yep. um, especially Buck Showalter. And I, I think it will depend on how far, you know, how, how much pitching they can acquire and who will leave, who will go. I mean, I, I think it depends on this year. I think it's too early to tell. But you know what? I would think that Buck Showalter would want to win. And if he can't win in Baltimore, I can see him going somewhere else. I mean, he's that type of guy. We've seen it. We've seen him do it so many times before where he's turned teams into champions. I mean, he did it with the Yankees, even though he did not win a championship there. 
I mean, he went he with that team. He went from bad to great, and you know, I've credited Brooke Showalter for that. For that, so I can see another team going after him if he no longer wants to be in Baltimore. As far as Dan Duquette's concerned, it, it's hard. I think it will depend on um, what kind of players he get, the budget, the whole nine yards. So it's too early now. All right, uh, that does wrap up our time with Bill Latson. Uh, we really appreciate your coming on, Bill. Anytime, Stan. You take care. All right. Bill Latson of MLB.com is our guest. A uh, couple things, uh, programming notes. want to remind you that Glenn Clark is on every single day, Monday through Friday, from 10 to 12 with the Glenn Clark Radio Show. He and Kyle Ottenheimer bring you a, a brand of uh, sports talk that's uh, brash, entertaining, and informative. And then on Sundays... The same time slot, 10 to 12. Ken Zalas and Sarita Hubbard bring you the Fantasy and Reality Football Show, um, and that is each and every Sunday from 10 to 12. We're going to take a timeout, and when we get back, we're going to be joined by a good friend of mine, Jim Henneman of PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. That's up next on The Bat Around. Coming to the Owings Mills Metro Center soon, Hammer and Nails Grooming Shop for Guys, where they offer hand and foot grooming, barbering, and straight razor shaves, all in a relaxed man cave nirvana. You get your own TV and remote, top-of-the-line noise-canceling headphones, and a complimentary beverage, all while you kick back in a seat that has been custom-crafted with your comfort being the number one priority. Trust me when I say this is a -a one-of-a-kind experience that will have you feeling like a modern-day king. That's Hammer and Nails Grooming Shop for guys coming soon to the Owings Mills Metro Center. Find out more by going to hammerandnailsgrooming.com. The Paracel Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call one 877-617-8839. Call now. Here's another reason to run by the Nottingham Square Chick-fil-A today, the Cow Calendar. That's right, the 2018 Chick-fil-A Cow Calendar is now on sale for just $4. Like wristwatches and cash, you still need a wall calendar, and the 2018 Chick-fil-A Cow Calendar comes with a Cow Calendar card, good this year for monthly specials and treats. Steer yourself over to Nottingham Square's Chick-fil-A, 5198 Campbell Boulevard, and pick up your Cow Calendar for just $4 today. Full Circle Tire and Auto would like to thank the Harford County Sheriff's Department and the Baltimore County and Baltimore City Police Departments. Any active or retired employee can receive 8.75% off up to $100 on any service. We are proud to serve you. Thank you for serving us. The deal lasts through January 31st, and that's Full Circle Tire and Auto at 410-676-CARS. That's 410-676-2277 at 1304 Governor's Court, Suite 110 in Abingdon, Maryland. FullCircleTireAndAuto.com. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every 
Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash Sports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer, the, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College College football. football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Right now is your best time to upgrade into a new Chevrolet or Mitsubishi during Jerry's Trade-In Trade-Up event. Jerry's is offering up to 130% Kelly Blue Book value for your trade. Take advantage of Jerry's lowest prices on all the new 2018 Chevy and Mitsubishi models, including Malibus, Equinox, and Colorado trucks. Plus, they come with Jerry's extended service care, featuring four years of free maintenance. Visit Jerry's Chevrolet on Joppa Road or online at jerryschevrolet.com. Our children's futures start at a very young age, and Catholic schools prepare them for that future. Academic excellence with the belief that all students will succeed. A balanced curriculum integrating music and arts, foreign language, and Catholic faith, while challenging students in the areas of science, math, and technology. Discover the Catholic school's difference. Please visit archbalt.org schools for more information. And we are back on the battle round on this Saturday morning, the 27th of uh, January 2018. Orioles Fan Fest uh, underway down at the Baltimore Convention Center. And again, in case you hadn't heard yesterday, the news broke uh, mid-afternoon that neither Manny Machado or Jonathan Scope, probably number one and number two on most uh, autograph seekers' wish list, uh, will not be attending today. Chris Davis, by the way, had a more standard excuse. His wife gave uh, birth to twin girls uh, earlier in the week, so he had a uh, excused absence. And uh, I'm sure Machado and Scope had their reasons. Uh, joining us right now is uh, Press Box, very fine baseball writer uh, and still a Hall of Fame voter, the very fine baseball writer, Jim Henneman. Jim, how are you? Doing good, Sam. First of all, how you feeling in the new year? You doing okay? I'm doing all right. Yeah. You you getting ready to uh, uh, shake the cobwebs out and get down to Florida? Well, I hope so. Looking forward to it. All right. Take it, take it a day at a time. All right. I understand that. Believe me. Um, let's let's wrap up some unfinished Hall of Fame business. Um, uh, we got four folks going in. I don't think there's any question that all four that won the writers' votes are deserving. You agree? Absolutely. Yeah, I was a little, uh, you know, I had some hope that Mar- that Edgar Martinez would uh, would climb the uh, would, would be high enough this year. But uh, actually, the, the movement that he made is about normal. Or I, I think he'll be in pretty good position for next year. But. Um, how about our friend? Yeah. How about our friend Mike Musina? I know you and I share the belief he belongs in the hall. Uh, is he in great position next year? Was this sort of a, a, a necessary jump up by about fourteen or fifteen percent? Yeah, I think that it, it probably is about maybe what you had hoped for going in. But the way you know, with a lot of the with a lot of the. Uh, the events, the tracking going that goes on now with public ballots and guys that make their ballots public early, 
Uh, you know, he ran pretty strong. He and Martinez both were running really strong for most of the most of the time, but uh, it not surprisingly dropped off uh, considerably with uh, with those who had not made their ballots uh, public ahead of time, which. Is one I, I don't ever do mine. I used to do mine beforehand, but I stopped because I really don't like the idea of, uh, you know, I'm one of those guys that doesn't believe in agent polls. I think they ought to be illegal. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so I don't, I don't really do mine until after the fact. Um, and uh, so their their percentages dropped off considerably. I mean, I'm just looking at some numbers here now that that Martinez was running you know, over seventy seven percent. Uh, before the announcement on those that have been public, but but he came in at just about seventy. Don't you so run? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, he fell off about seven or eight percent, and and Moose fell off even more than that. But I think you're seeing us in in a good spot. But it's not a slam dunk because uh, it's still going to take uh, it's it's going to take a while, and it's you know there's there are more guys coming on next year that are that are going to uh, I mean Rivera and. Probably Holiday or probably Rivera for sure is going to be a slam dunk, um, and uh, and Holiday is you know, going to be right behind him. So it's it's still. Uh, I mean, I think he's in good position. I think yeah. he's going to he'll make it before his time is up. Martinez has only got one more year. I feel pretty comfortable he'll win next year. All right, we're talking with Jim Henneman. Jim, uh, I had Bill Latson on from MLB.com, and I talked to him about three players who I felt have really been unappreciated in uh, their Hall of Fame numbers. And I'm just wondering where you fit in on the Fred McGriff, Jeff Kent, and Billy Wagner. I'm surprised well, their I'm surprised their percentages are so low. Wagner is the guy is is, is the biggest. Uh, I, I'm I'm kind of astonished at his. Uh, his percentages, to be honest with you, I, I since he, uh, he and Hoffman came on the same time, and frankly, uh, you know, I really don't see how you could vote for one without the other. Um, yep. And I, both of them have been on my ballot both times. Uh, Wagner, it, to the point, is uh, is it, kind of really mystified because his, other than the saves, I mean, you can't dismiss the saves, but. Uh, you know, in this era where people tend to dismiss the value of wins and or saves, uh, the fact that he's that, that Huffman's got you know six hundred and one, I think it is, or whatever it is, uh, you know, those numbers are pretty are pretty strong. Whereas Wagner's like it in the four twenty two range, but his other numbers uh, just about dominate. Anybody, yeah, he's got any a reliever, he's, he's got a whip of under hit the other than maybe Rivera. Yeah, he's so, got a whip of under one for his career. Yes, for his career, and and actually, he, he and Mussina, they and Mussina won twenty games and walked away, and uh, and Wagner his last year, he had announced early in the year that he was going to retire at the end of the year and and uh, basically go back. He signed with Atlanta as a free agent. Uh, he's a Virginia guy. Uh, and went back home, and he was he, he finished seven and two with a with with thirty seven saves and and a dominant year uh, elsewise, and and he left as well. I mean, and he his numbers uh, for with two less years, uh, I, I think compare very favorably with uh, with Huffman. I, I have a really hard time separating the two. Where Those do you two, where do you fit with Kent? 
where do you think with Ken? Yeah, I had both of those on my ballot this year, but I will admit that both of those guys have been, you know, they've been on the fringe of this ballot for for a while because of the just because of the, of the the numbers of people that are on here. And and to be honest with you, I mean, I look at at both of them now. I mean, Ken Ken was at thirteen percent, and McGurk's at twenty percent. Next year is going to be his last year, and you know that's a a complete long shot. I mean, I hate to say anything yeah. about a wasted vote because if you believe in a guy, you believe in a guy. But the bottom line is, you know, it, it, there's no way he's going to make that jump next year in his hands. Or his his fate is going to rest in the hands of the, the Veterans Committee down the road. There's no question about that. Hey, with, um, the, with the case of Martinez and Mucina, uh, you make an interesting case about the uh, public voting. If I'm a guy who's not inclined to vote for Mucina or Martinez, and now I see them tracking so high. I, I, since I've never been a voter, I don't know. Could it impact me by saying, boy, I'm going to do everything I can not to vote for this guy? Well, it's hard, you know, it's hard to read to, to read that. The only thing I can tell you is, is that, you know, when anybody who's voted in this for any length of time realizes that, that it, it's not just so much who you vote for, but it, it is who you don't vote for. I mean, yeah. the guys you don't vote for, when you don't vote for them, and it takes three votes to, to counter your no vote. So, yeah. uh, you know, it, and it, it's a, a crowded ballot. I mean, uh, I didn't have this show on my ballot because, frankly, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have room. And, I, and I'm and i not a Bond Clemens guy at the point, yep. although I don't really think that's, I don't necessarily think it's up to us to determine who's eligible and who's not, but I've just kind of bought into the theory that I, I, you know, as long as I felt like they were out of the picture, I was not going to vote for either one of those guys as long as I had 10 guys on my ballot. So, uh, and I will say this, it's getting to the point where that's not going to happen many more years. So uh, that'll be decision time. We're talking with Jimmy Henneman, writes for PressBox, PressBoxOnline.com, also an official scorer extraordinaire. Um, you had M- uh, MLB has you guys come up to New York uh, each year, the official scorers. Any new scoring stuff you can talk about or nothing major? Not really. It's, it's, I mean, there's nothing really, I mean, you know, there's nothing really new in the department. I mean, the only, the only thing that, that we've been we've been doing for the last seven years is we have these meetings and we we get to talk about plays we get to see plays uh, uh, we look at a lot of the plays that are turned in uh, it's a, it's an educational process and uh, but with the whole idea being uh, uh, to to have a lot of uniformity so that so that everybody's kind of looking at the everybody's looking at the, the plays the same way it's a it's it's a good process. Uh, it's helped a lot. It's not. It's not so much X's and O's as far as rules and stuff like that is. As it just, uh, just making sure that everybody's on the same page with with certain certain elements of, of the game. You know that you know wall pitches and pass balls and stuff like that are pretty much cut and dried. But you know you still have to you still have to have some guidelines to make sure everybody's looking at them the same way. Um, it was an interesting. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I went up for the first day yesterday, but they only take one guy each year. Yep. And, uh, I did go up for the meeting yesterday and, uh, he came back uh, very late last night. So, uh, 
it, it was good. I mean, we had uh, uh, Joe Garagiola Jr. and, and Joe Torre are the guys that, uh, you know, the, the appeal plays. And, like, a lot of people talk about those plays, and there were there were 341 plays that were turned in last year, which sounds like a lot of plays. But when you consider that there's, like, 24,000 games played, wow, uh, it really is a... Uh, I mean, to me, it's really dropping a bucket. I mean, I'm I'm actually surprised that the numbers not not a little bit higher than that. But, by uh, a, by appeal plays, you mean where they actually appeal for a change in a ruling of an error or a hit yes, or something yes, like that? You know, uh, yeah, and, and it's a it's a good system, yep. uh, and it's good because it it, it removes it removes a lot of the debate between people. It's just that if you you know you feel like the play should have been scored differently. Uh, you know, you have the right to turn it in, and, and uh, you know, there's no animosity. You just turn it in, and, and uh, it, gets, it gets looked at, and uh, are, are most, it's either upheld or it's overturned. And, uh, are and most, it, it, it works. I mean, sometimes sometimes guys turn plays in. There are, there are some technicalities involved sometimes that are not completely understood, but, but that's, that's rare. Are most of the appeals, do they come from the player or the team or the manager? You know, for the most part, I think uh, I think a lot of times I think like a coach or the manager yeah. uh, may turn it in uh, for the player. Uh, it can be either way; player can turn it in for himself. Uh, so it's uh, you know, it's, it can be a little bit dicey in, in, in some situations because it it can it can entail uh, uh, you know arguing, especially in the case of a pitcher. I, I mean gets charged with a hit and then a run or something like that. Well, in order for it to change around, he's got to kind of be lobbying for one of his teammates to get an error. So it's a little bit dicey there. But, uh, but for the most part, I think the coaches and the managers, uh, if, if they see something that they feel is uh, is offline, uh, they'll, they'll turn it in. Jim, you've been watching the game of baseball for a long time and working professionally in the field since, I guess, the 50s, right? Late 50s, early 60s. Okay. So you've watched a hell of a lot of baseball games. Um, I'm sure you'd like to see the game played at a crisper pace, uh, but are you of the opinion we're at the point where we really need this pitch clock that the commissioner's talking about instituting? You know, I I don't know. I I think uh, I, I guess what I what I question sometimes is, is how much it will actually speed the game up. It's kind of uh, you know it's kind of like replay. I mean, uh, we talk about how how replay. The, the worst thing about replay is is that people sit on the field doing nothing. Yeah. And uh, but as far as the the actual last time of the game, the way I look at it, uh, every every one of those replay things is is usually replacing. A three or four minute argument. Uh, so uh, you know that's kind of a wash to me. Uh, but I do think that there's there, and I think this would be a case in football too. You know they, they could get these things done with a whole lot quicker. I don't see any need for three guys to go put a headset on and talk to somebody in here because the guys in here can make a call anyhow. So really, all they need to do is have the you, you know the, the crew chief wired up. Uh, and, you know, so I, I I think there's ways to speed that part of it up. Uh, what, what, I don't know how much. I mean, I, I don't know how much the pitch clock is abused. I think there are certain guys that, uh, you know, just their nature is, is not to work as quick as other guys. I think that's, you know, that part of it would be good. But, you know, sooner or later you come to the fact that I think 
the, the, the actual time of the game hasn't really changed that much, but look, we all know the time between innings has changed a lot. And, sure. Uh, and there's, there's more creative ways now to get commercials done. I mean, especially on television. I mean, uh, you get, you know, all, all kinds of, uh, even on, even on radio, you know, you know, here the lineups were presented by XYZ and yep. uh, that kind of thing. So, uh, but you know, you don't want to see the game. I mean, I kind of compare it to going to a, to, to going to a show. I mean, I, you know, a Broadway show runs, you know, generally speaking, to almost three hours with a little bit with an intermission. Right. And uh, turns out the same way every night. So, you know, I'd like <laughs> to see them be able to stay under three hours, but as long as they're doing two and a half minutes between each half inning, I really don't know how to spot them. You know, you know what? What's frustrating to me about the video is I never thought that when it was instituted five years ago or four years ago, that it was really going to be about. Well, hold on. Let's let the manager of a team kind of do his own review, and then you know appeal the play. It, it sort of takes away the whole thing. Was are you better than the human eye? And right. now you're allowing the manager to pre predetermine whether his his uh, appeal has a real good chance of winning, and I think that's where some of the time gets wasted. Basically, they they have about thirty seconds. I mean, that's that's not a whole lot of time to yeah. do that. I mean, it, it's a. I mean, in a perfect world, in a perfect world, we wouldn't have replay, and and we wouldn't be able to sit at home and and see in the blink of an eye that the that the guy's fingernail, you know, did or didn't catch the base on the tag play. Right. Uh, we're victims of technology, and uh, there isn't really any way around it, unfortunately. Uh, I don't think that. I mean, some of these plays when they when they slow when they had to slow the camera down, slow the angle down to the to the one one hundred thousandth of a whatever to to see something. I, you know, those plays are. I don't think those plays are meant to be overturned. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, you know, I agree. I, I think that's a big part of it. And I think they got to get into maybe buy into the theory that, hey, we have to have definitive evidence. You hear that every time they go to put the headset on. But the bottom line is the more they keep showing these different replays, you may see six different ones. You can't tell. You can't tell. I've I've actually been in that studio. We went to the mm-hmm. studio in one of these meetings a couple of years ago, and they pulled up six plays from from the previous season. And there's 50 guys in that room. And we all watch in the same screen, and when they show it, you know, a show of hands, it's it's one way and half one way, half the right. other way, until they kept showing, kept showing, kept showing, and then maybe the fifth or sixth time, you you finally see something, and bingo, everybody in the room agrees. So that's that's how precise they those things are. It's amazing. It's an the, amazing situation. Yeah, the but, one the one that's really gotten to me, Jim, is the guy slot steals second base. And he's clearly safe, and then he pops up, and for a split second, right. he's yeah. off the base. I never thought that that's what replay was intended to well, uh, change. And I, I, I tend to agree with that, but it, you know, but in theory, I mean, that's you know, you're out. I mean, yeah, I understand that. You know, but but yeah, I agree with you. I, yeah. I don't disagree with that. I think uh-huh. that that's not the you know that's not the play. And and to, to their credit, I mean. You know, managers, you know, they've, they've sharpened that, you know, hold the tag, hold the tag, uh, you know, which is not something that probably they did 50 years ago. They weren't, you know, they, it was, the tag was made and that was the end of it. Hey, In I, fact, some of these times, but by holding the tag, I'm not so sure you're not forcing the issue. Yeah. So, 
Hey, I, I want to get a couple of Oriole questions in, but I want to go back to the Hall of Fame real quick. Vladimir, okay. Vladimir Guerrero, who we got to witness at the real twilight of his career, his last season in uh, major leagues, went up from 71% in year one to 93 or 94% in year two. In your, uh, in your estimation, that's kind of unprecedented, isn't it, that big a jump? Um. That that does seem like a, a jump, but I mean, any anybody over seventy percent out of the box, you know, is you know, sure. Look, I you you can't be in everybody's mind. I mean, there yep. are people that don't believe in first ballot, which is you know, which to me is is not a not a legitimate thing. Or you can't you you're, we're trying to determine if a guy's a hall of famer. We're not to determine. To what they sent. I mean, there's right. going to be guys that went at seventy five percent. There's going to be guys that went at ninety nine percent. Get over, you know, if, if the guy is good enough, he's good enough. But in all honesty, you know, last year was a tough ballot. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was a tough ballot for him to to get in on the first year. So, well, uh, and there are still guys that you know, even though now the average ballot I think runs more than eight on each. You're allowed to pick ten, and and the, and the average is now close to nine. But there are still a lot of guys out there that will only vote for, you know, that they'll look at it and say, "Well, these are the three best players, two best players, and they're the only guys that we vote for." You happy? I agree with that, but you, there are some people that do that. You happy to see Trammell and uh, Morris get in? Oh my lord, absolutely! Well, I mean, I voted for Trammell. I, I have to be honest with you. Morris was a guy I, I can understand the, you know, the back and forth on Morris, yep. and I guess to a degree Trammell, because Trammell never really attracted the. The vote of uh, he, he was a guy that you know the eye test was big for me with with Trammell. I mean, yeah. I, you know, we saw enough of Trammell uh, to to really appreciate the fact that he was a guy that that played the game defensively as good as he could be played. He was he was good enough to hit anywhere from second to seventh in the lineup. Uh, he could steal a base. He did a home run depending on what his team needed. To me, he was he was a, a Hall of Famer, but he didn't attract that much. Uh, attention from 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 the press box, but he sure did from the field, and uh, and, and that was pretty obvious. From the, I, I was I was kind of stunned that he went in that quick yeah. to the veterans, to be honest with you. But but I was glad that he was. I, I, to me, there was no doubt about. It. All right, we're running a little past, but I got to ask you a couple Oriole questions, real real right. quick. Uh, Let's say opening day starts March 29th. What will the Orioles starting rotation look like? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, I think you, you, have, you right now you have to say the two obvious guys in Castro. Right. And and uh and I'm going and I'd say right now one of the one of the rule five guys, but I'm not, you know, without without really uh, haven't seen him, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, I you know whether this left-hander whether his numbers are going to translate to the big leagues or not, you know, I don't know, but I mean, in a way, I hope they do because you know you you kind of get tired of feeling that the guy's got to throw three miles an hour to, right. to get anybody out. But uh, you know, I still think there'll be somewhere down the road there's going to be somebody else. Whether it's a you know, I don't think it's going to be a number one, but I think it's going to be a, a a number three or four guy. Uh, and, uh, listen, the bottom line is is that if, if they're going to have a pitching staff of any quality. They they have to develop some of their own. Some yeah. of these, I mean, I'm Mike Wright. I mean, I you know, I know people want to dismiss him, but he's a big guy. You know, he's he's one of those guys you're looking for, and you know, you got to be careful with a guy like that. I mean, he's he's going to pitch in the big leagues this year, and 
he's either going to be here or somewhere else. And uh, so if he's going to pitch well, you better hope it's here. All right. The other question is, and it's, uh, and I'm referencing it because of the sudden uh, news yesterday that both Manny Machado and Scope are not coming to FanFest. Anything to write, read into that? I, you know, if there is, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we know that Scope, I mean, Scope was away doing his, you know, he was at home doing clinics and stuff. You know, and there was a lot, but that before the night, that necessarily had any interference or not. Right. You know, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I would hope that it's, that it's not agent driven or anything like that, but you never know. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, I mean, in Scope's case, it's no reason it should be. And and many signs. So I mean, I don't know what the. Yeah. I mean, I, listen, I can kind of understand. You know, you both a ball club and the and Manny wouldn't necessarily won't have to sit there and go through all the, the trade talk stuff. But I think for this to happen at the end uh, is not doesn't speak well of. Uh, I mean, I it, it, that's a tough call. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't. Uh, let me ask you about a, t- a tougher call, but not the same type of call. The, the Orioles a couple of years ago, and it was debatable whether they should have signed them or not, but they, they paid the highest amount of money they've ever paid to a player, to Chris Davis, and he suddenly has not been the type of player that they paid that kind of money to. What do you think the chances are that he can get back to be 80, 85% of that player again. Do you, you have faith? Do you have any confidence in that? A, a little bit, yeah. I mean, I, I, look, he's, the, he's the, the kind of player. I mean, I always look at the thing. The guy has done it before, yep. and he's certainly still in the, in the, in the prime of his, of his time. There isn't any question that, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he went through some uh, some mental problems, you know, some uh, at the plate. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, you know, you just you don't. I mean, he knows that. I mean, yeah. you know, he was aware of it. You just can't take that many strike threes. Uh, so there, I'm sure there's some frustration there, and maybe the frustration of living up in the contract uh, uh, is part of it. But you know, is he going to hit 13 home runs again? I don't know. I mean, I certainly think he's going to hit 35 or 40 again before it's all over. But uh, you know, it, it'll be a big part of. How they do? No question, sure. no question about it. I think yeah. it's actually number one mystifying uh, question they've got to answer in the affirmative. Right, Jimmy. Thanks. I'll look forward to seeing you. I probably won't see it before. Well, actually, I'll probably see you down at the Babes Bash next Friday. Yeah, I'll be down there. I'll be down Friday next week. Yeah. All right. So, great. great. All right. All right. Thanks, care. Jimmy. All right, Jimmy Henneman, PressBox, PressBoxOnline.com. Still. At the age of 81, still one of the best baseball writers I know and a really fine gentleman. We're going to take our final time out and come back and wrap this baby up. Bye. Coming to the Owings Mills Metro Center soon, Hammer and Nails Grooming Shop for Guys, where they offer hand and foot grooming, barbering, and straight razor shaves, all in a relaxed man cave nirvana. You get your own TV and remote, top of the line noise canceling headphones, and a complimentary beverage, all while you kick back in a seat that has been custom crafted with your comfort being the number one priority. Trust me when I say this is a one of a kind experience that will have you feeling like a modern day king. That's Hammer and Nails Grooming Shop for 
guys coming soon to the Owings Mills Metro Center. Find out more by going to hammerandnailsgrooming.com. The Parkcel Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. Here's another reason to run by the Nottingham Square Chick-fil-A today, the Cow Calendar. That's right, the 2018 Chick-fil-A Cow Calendar is now on sale for just $4. Like wristwatches and cash, you still need a wall calendar, and the 2018 Chick-fil-A Cow Calendar comes with a Cow Calendar card, good this year for monthly specials and treats. Steer yourself over to Nottingham Square's Chick-fil-A, 5198 Campbell Boulevard, and pick up your Cow Calendar for just $4 today. Full Circle Tire and Auto would like to thank the Harford County Sheriff's Department and the Baltimore County and Baltimore City Police Departments. Any active or retired employee can receive 8.75% off up to $100 on any service. We are proud to serve you. Thank you for serving us. The deal lasts through January 31st, and that's Full Circle Tire and Auto at 410-676-CARS. That's 410-676-2277 at 1304 Governor's Court, Suite 110 in Abingdon, Maryland. FullCircleTireAndAuto.com. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KOO from the PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. The, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, not really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Right now is your best time to upgrade into a new Chevrolet or Mitsubishi during Jerry's Trade-In, Trade-Up event. Jerry's is offering up to 130% Kelly Blue Book value for your trade. Take advantage of Jerry's lowest prices on all the new 2018 Chevy and Mitsubishi models, including Malibus, Equinox, and Colorado trucks. Plus, they come with Jerry's extended service care, featuring four years of free maintenance. Visit Jerry's Chevrolet on Joppa Road or online at jerryschevrolet.com. Our children's futures start at a very young age, and Catholic schools prepare them for that future. Academic excellence with the belief that all students will succeed. A balanced curriculum integrating music and arts, foreign language, and Catholic faith, while challenging students in the areas of science, math, and technology. Discover the Catholic school's difference. Please visit archbalt.org schools for more information. And we are back, and uh, we've done it again. Two straight weeks, minus Craig Heist, minus Bonza Tufa, but Brittany Everett and I have gotten through two shows together. How are you enjoying your time here on the Battle Round? I love it. Do Thanks you? Thanks for having me, yeah. All right. Well, we got some bad news. This was your last. <sighs> no, nah, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> um, anyway, we hope you've enjoyed the show. We know next week we'll have a bevy of guests. I'm sure Rich Dubroff of uh, PressBox, PressBoxOnline.com will join us. And Ed Wheatley, 
who we had on about three and a half months ago, wrote the book uh, along with another writer about the St. Louis Browns. He will join us. Uh, I know that for a fact, Jack. All right. And Mike Shallon of the um, New Hampshire Union Leader will join us as well. That's three of our four or five guests I know that are set. Not sure if Craig Heiss will be here or not, but Brittany Everett and Stan the Fan will muddle through uh, nonetheless. We hope you had a great uh, time listening and watching us. And uh, don't forget, tomorrow 10 to 12, you can do the same with Ken Zalis, Sarita Hubbard, Fantasy and Reality Football Show, pressboxonline.com slash radio, or watch it live on Facebook at Facebook, facebook.com slash Sports. And uh, also, Glenn Clark, the same stuff. Special thanks to Glenn Clark for doing that interview with Mel Antonin. And again, our thanks to Mel Antonin, Jim Callis, Bill Latson, and Jim Henneman. Have a great day, everybody.